So we're going to continue our divided series today by talking about um, some difficult, it's going to be a little difficult because we're going to talk a little bit about morality. We're going to also talk a little bit about uh, how some improper things are sneaking into our understanding of the gospel. Uh, we're going we're gonna to process a little bit the church in, uh, or the words in, uh, in uh, that Pastor Matt just mentioned, and, and we're going to process those a little bit and look at how even in our own country, we're getting add-ons to the gospel. And I want to encourage all of us to be open to the possibility that I don't want to say that we're following them, but maybe the possibility that we are open to them or we don't see them for what they are. I've been wrestling with this sermon quite a bit because there were so many different directions that I wanted to go. And notice again, I said I wanted to go. Uh, I remember there's been many times this week where things would pop into my head and I'd write them down and I have all these rabbit trails that were going all different directions. And I was really concerned by it because as I was looking at it, I was like, God, uh, please do not let me try to tackle so much stuff that the most important things that you want to get across this morning don't come through. Uh, anybody that's ever, you know, been up here preaching or taught, you know, sometimes that happens. You have tons of stuff that you want to get across, but then you remind yourself that you only have this small window to do it. Um, so we're going to skip ahead a little bit. And we're going to jump to, again, these words, where, where Paul says, listen, I'm shocked, I'm in awe, I'm, I'm just dumbfounded, that you're turning away so soon from God who called you to himself. And, and, he, and he talks about turning to this other gospel, and what I want us to just stop for a moment and understand and realize is what Paul was saying was, he's like, listen, I came and I preached the gospel to you, and that gospel was one thing and one thing only, in fact, it was a person, I preached to you Jesus. That's it. I preach Jesus. And, and what Paul is saying is he's like, I'm dumbfounded. I'm astonished. I can't believe this, that you're turning away from Jesus. And here's the thing. They were probably reading this going like, wait a minute, we're not turning away from Jesus. Jesus is still primary in what we talk about. What Paul was frustrated with is, is you're taking Jesus and you're adding to him. Like, like you're taking Jesus and you're saying Jesus and this is the requirement to be a good Christian, to be saved. And, and the way that was happening in this church was you had people that were, see, here's, I mean, Paul had to be frustrated most of the days of his life because Paul would go into a city and he would preach the gospel and the spirit would move and people would respond and, and people would come to know Jesus and Paul would set up the church and he would tell them what to, you know, he's like, he would instruct them and he said, this is what the mission is and this is what you need to do. And then Paul would move on to the next place. And then there was these group of people that would follow behind Paul and they would come in and they would say, hey, Paul, everything he said is great. The problem is he left something out. And you have to be circumcised to be a Christian. Like You have to follow the law. You have to follow the Mosaic law. And you have to follow these decrees. You, you can't do this. It's Jesus and. And that's why Paul is frustrated. He's writing back to the church saying, what are you doing? Knock it off. It's not Jesus, and you can't add to Jesus. And so as we start this morning, I want to 
encourage us, but also challenge us to, to this reality, we have to be careful not to fall into, fall into the same trap of this church that Paul was writing to. And some of us are probably saying, well, wait a minute, uh, that's easy. We know that we're beyond the law, and, and I'm not talking about the law. Because I want to give us a few things that we can fall into, traps that we can fall into as we think about this political series, when we think about being an American and being a citizen, some of the things that we can fall into and in thinking that try to add to Jesus. Let me give you one thing. And, and as I talk about these, please, let me give you a disclaimer. Okay? Totally love America. <laughs> okay? I am extremely glad to be here. I think it's an awesome country. Right? I love it. Don't wrong. I get involved with, with different political things. I, you can ask my wife. Anytime I turn the news on, she's like, oh, are you kidding me? Right? Don't get me wrong. So the things I'm saying, don't sit there and say, oh, he's being anti-American. But hear me just for a moment. Here's some of the things that can sneak into the church or into our thinking. Here's the first one. American does not equal Christian. Just because we're born in America doesn't make you Christian. I was looking up some statistics. And it was interesting to, me to, it's interesting to me because they were saying, let's talk about how many Christians are in each country. And I was going through this and looking, and they were talking about all the countries around the world. And then the map they had was really interesting because there was these little circles on each country. And the size of the circle, I found out, was the, um, kind of the, the way they were trying to say the number of Christians that were in that country. Right? And, and I'm looking at it, and I found it interesting because America had this really big circle over it. So when I clicked on America, on the United States, it, it, I had, it was sad, but it still made me chuckle. Because it said, in America, 84% are Christian. Oh, yeah, that's a bunch of bull. But we live in a context where many people just assume that because our country is a Christian nation, which is a false assumption, because I'm going to let you on a little secret, just if a country is a lot of professing Christians, the only way that a nation is truly a Christian nation is when Jesus himself is running it. And that's not going to happen until Jesus sets foot on this planet. But, but we have this idea that we're a Christian nation, and because we're a Christian nation and I'm born into it, I must be a Christian because my parents were Christians or my grandparents were Christians or I went to church when I was a little kid or I lived by a church, so obviously I'm a Christian because I could see the people going in there every Sunday, so that automatically made me a Christian. I must be a Christian because I celebrate Christmas. Hey, did you, I don't, I don't know if you know this, but I found out that there's also a Christmas holiday kind of on January 6th. Anybody know about this? This is completely sidetracked, but I'm going to start taking January 6th off because I'm going to demand it's a religious holiday. It is when you celebrate the wise men coming to Jesus. I am totally going to start celebrating that. It's another day off. That's all I'm saying. Anyways, just saying. I found that out this year. But here's the other thing I want to start down. This is what sneaks in. Not just American. I'm going to challenge us on something else. Political party does not equate Christian. Right? Sometimes we can fall into this idea that if I fall in with a certain political party and what that party stands for, then, then that must mean I'm Christian. They must be Christians because they profess Christian. Hear me just for a moment. And this, I don't know if this is going to rub any wrong, but just hear me for a moment. Jesus is not up in heaven wearing a Make American Great Again hat. Right? That ain't, Jesus ain't up there doing it. At the same time, Jesus is not up in heaven wearing a shirt that says, Feel the burn. 
Anybody that doesn't know, that's Bernie's little tagline, right? What I want you to understand is Jesus has not aligned himself specifically with any party. And we can't sit there and say, because I line up with these political values or this political system or this political person, then that equates me being a good Christian. Now, here's the one that's going to be a little bit, hopefully you understand what I'm saying with this. Being patriotic does not equate being a Christian. Right? Waving the American flag does not equate a person being a good Christian. Right? Getting goosebumps when you're at a baseball game and they sing, God bless America, does not mean that a person is a good Christian. It doesn't even mean that they are a Christian. Hear me just for a second. This is again, I love America. I'm so glad God chose for me to live here. But God does not show favoritism. He says so flat out in Scripture. He doesn't look upon America as any better than any other nation. Now, don't get me wrong, we have many things in our nation that I am extremely glad and happy for, and I'm so glad that God chose to shed his grace on us. But can I let you in on a little secret? God shed his grace on every other country too. Because that's the beauty of God. He sheds his grace on everyone. We we can't live with this mentality that we're special in some way just because we live in this country and we can't think that this country automatically makes us good with God. It doesn't work that way. In fact, let me give you a little bit of, you know how, and here's the deal, I do believe that God has shed his grace on our nation. I believe God was very instrumental in the forming of our nation, but I think God was instrumental in the forming of every nation because he's God. But here's the deal. I do believe that God had a purpose for why he allowed our nation to exist. I believe God has a reason for why he wants to use the American people and the good that he has done through our nation. But when we think foolishly that we're the only nation that God pours his grace out upon, let me give you some statistics, just three statistics that I wish was being poured out into our country. It is reported that 10,000 to 25,000, so somewhere in there, Every single day, someone is coming to know Jesus in China. See, we sit back as Americans and we say, man, China's horrible. But it sounds like God's shedding his grace on China. Because people are coming to know Jesus. Reports say that 500 Muslims, now this might not seem like a lot, but this is huge if you think about it. In a Muslim country, 500 Muslims a month are coming to know Jesus just in Iran. Sounds like me, God's shedding his grace on the Muslims in Iran. In Indonesia, another very heavily Muslim place, in the last 40 years, They have gone from just about a million Christians, and in 40 years, they are now well over 11 million Christians in Indonesia. Sounds like to me, God's shedding his grace in some places that we kind of look at as Americans and say, they're they're problem places. And I'm not denying there's problems there, but it sounds like God's doing some work. Do you know that in the last 100 years, Africa went from being a, a continent that had approximately 3% of the, nation, of, of the African continent being Christian 
3% in the last 100 years. And reports now say that over 50% of Africa are people professing Christianity. See, in America, we have large numbers of people that profess Christ. But I think if we got honest with ourselves, we have very low numbers of people actually living it. And this is something I want us to talk about because here's the one we're going to focus on for the rest of this morning. A very important trap that we can fall into as Christians that goes along with what Jesus was, or what Paul was saying about the gospel where he was saying, don't add to Jesus. Here's the very important one we're going to talk about the rest of the day, or the rest of this morning. Morality does not equal salvation. Let me explain it. Just because someone lives a moral life does not mean they're actually a Christian. In fact, I'm here to tell you that there are going to be many good moral people spending eternity separated from God in hell because they assumed their morality was the thing that made them a Christian. When the reality is the only thing that makes them a follower of Jesus is the shed blood of Christ and coming to him in faith and repentance. But see, we've fallen into this trap of morality. So let's just talk about this for a second. Um, one of the things I appreciate about the, the Bible is, you know, the, you know of course, the, the way it, it lays out things that happen, and, and you kind of can read it, and you have good guys, and you have bad guys, and, and, and there's kind of ways to interpret that. Can I, can I tell you just for a moment, most of my life, I grew up thinking that the Pharisees were bad guys. I mean, they, they crucified Jesus, for goodness sakes. I mean, they were against Jesus. How, they can't be good guys. Can I, can I encourage you with something just real quick? While well, they did some very dumb and bad things. In and of themselves, I don't think the Pharisees were all that bad. I think they were misguided and mistaken. And what I mean by that is they were duped into this idea that to be a follower of God, one must adhere to an outward expression of morality. Follow the rules, and you're good. Right? If you follow the rules and you do what we are told to do by the law, then you're good. And in fact, Jesus challenged them on this. He said this. He says, you are like whitewashed tombs. You're beautiful on the outside, but filled with, on the inside, you're just dead people's bones. And all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. What Jesus was saying is, guys, on the outside, you're, you're, you're moral, you're living righteously. Like on the outside, you look good. You're, you're doing all of it right. People look at you as examples of righteous living, of moral and good living. He's like, but the problem is inside, there's death. Because you haven't been transformed on the inside. You're spending all of your time focusing on the outside. And the problem is, is that when you stand before a holy God, it doesn't matter how clean you are on the outside. If you're full of dead bones on the inside and you're full of death and and impurity and hypocrisy and lawlessness on the inside, then you are going to face judgment by a holy God. Now, why is this important? Because I think the church, in many ways, sometimes we fall into this trap that 
we focus more on the morality happening around us than we do on the spirit-moving transformation that needs to happen around us. Meaning, I'm fine to not have to preach the gospel if all I want, just, just act the way you need to act, right? Like, like, just stop acting in an immoral way and I'll be good. But the problem is, even if all of us acted the right way, even if all of us were moral, even if all of us followed all the rules, if we don't come to the cross of Jesus... We're still spiritually dead. Our morality means nothing. And I think the church has started to preach morality more than we're preaching Jesus. Right? We start proclaiming to the world all the reasons they're wrong and all the reasons they're immoral and all the reasons that I just don't like what they do, and we're pointing all of this judgment out upon the immoral actions of the world, but we're not proclaiming Jesus. We think we are, because we're telling people why they're, why they're wrong. Oh, I'm proclaiming Jesus because I'm, I'm telling that person why they're wrong. And we're going to get into this a little bit more, so, so keep with me here. But here's the point, one point I want us to get just for a moment, and is this. Satan has no issue with moral people. In fact, I think he likes moral people. Because if he can get a person to think that their salvation is based on their morality then he's got them duped into thinking they're good with God. In fact, I think, I think Satan really likes churches that focus more on morality than they do the gospel. Because if he can get us focusing more on morality than the gospel, then he knows we're not doing any good to save people for the kingdom. We're just trying to tell people how to act. Act right. Do it the way we tell you to do it. Follow the rules. I can follow the rules and still be lost. See, here's one thing I want us to understand just for a moment also as Christians, because I feel like those of us, and I'm guilty of this, I ain't as old as, you know, I haven't been around ex- extremely long, so I can't really go, like, I remember the good old days. But I remember very vividly, I graduated in 96, I remember very vividly about 10 years later, I went to my mom's room, she was a teacher at the high school, I remember standing at my mom's room 10 years later, and I was watching kids walk in and out of the school, and this is really funny to me, because I was only, what, 27 at the time. And as a 27-year-old, I remember standing at the mirror or at the window watching these like kids go back and forth. And I remember sitting there looking at my mom was like, they let them dress like this? And I remember being like this very like righteous indignation of like, how dare they? What what is the deal? I say that because some of us might feel that way. We look back at the way things used to be and we say, man. We are such on a moral decline in our nation, and we need to get morals back. And we need to get... Can, I don't have a problem with that statement. But can I, can I just stop for a second and challenge us with something? We need to stop being surprised that we're on a moral decline in our nation. Like, why are we shocked by that? Can, can I just ask the question? You don't have to answer this, but just out of curiosity. How many of us are, are, are excited for the day Jesus actually comes back? Like, like ready, like, come on, Jesus! Do you realize he says it's going to get worse before that happens? Like we're saying out two different sides of our mouths. Jesus, please come, but don't let it get any worse. And he's like, I told you it's going to get worse. In fact, listen, Jesus, then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. That goes back to last week, right? 
You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere. And the love of many will grow cold. Like This is Jesus saying, hey guys, in times, this is what it's going to look like. The closer it gets to me coming back, this is what you have to look forward to. Sin will be rampant. So it's funny to me when we as Christians act shocked when sin is rampant. Now, I'm not trying to say we still don't speak against it, and I still don't say that we don't be salt and light. We're going to talk about that here in a little bit. But let's stop being shocked by it. In fact, Paul said to Timothy, in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. I mean, I can go on and keep reading that, but do you get the gist? The closer we get to Jesus, the worse it's going to get. So us as Christians in the church have to stop acting all shocked when it starts getting worse. In fact... I'm not saying celebrate it getting worse, but here's the deal. Part of me is celebrating because it's like, are we getting close to Jesus? I mean, Jesus said that his return is going to be as though labor pains. So any, anybody that's gone through pregnancy and had and labor, I'm telling you, do they not get worse the closer it gets? This is what Jesus said. So again, we have to stop being shocked by this. All right? Um, but here's the thing. We also got to talk about our temptation as things get worse. I, I alluded to this already, but I'm going to say it again. When things start getting worse, we need to stop thinking that our priority is to demand and fight for morality. Instead, our response should be to be people that proclaim and announce the gospel of Jesus Christ. As it gets worse, we can't just try to curb behavior. We need to become people that actually proclaim Jesus. So the question that's asked, is it possible to legislate morality? See, this is the thing that is so hard because we're talking about this political series. Some of us that have been around long enough, we remember the, uh, uh, what were they called? The moral majority. Remember this? You know what I'm talking about when I say the moral majority? You know, back in the 80s, 70s, and 80s, when uh, Reverend Falwell rallied the Christian troops because we were going to take a stand in the political arena and we were going to bring mor morality back to our nation through legislation and all of this stuff. Don't get me wrong, I applaud what they tried to do, but are we any better off because of it? We're not any better off because of it. So the question is this, can you legislate morality? Can we call upon our legislative officials and say, you need to pass laws that force morality? Well, listen to something Martin Luther King said. I thought this was interesting. He says, morality cannot be legislated, but behavior can be regulated. Judicial decrees may not change the heart, but they can restrain the heartless. Now, here's what I want us to focus on just for a moment. Part of us could read that. Some of us can read that and say, that's what I want. I want people that are heartless to be restrained. I want us to control and regulate behavior in a moral way. Again, I don't have nothing against that in and of itself. The problem is this. 
Just because you regulate behavior does not mean the person has been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's the point I want us to really nail down with today. If you get nothing else out of today, let it be this. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not about making bad people good, but to make dead people live, lost people found, and orphans children. See, the church falls into the trap to try to make bad people good. If we could just get you to act good, then we're doing our job. Our job is not to make the world good. Our job is to make the world found. To bring the life-giving breath of Jesus into the lost. See, the trap is that we fall into as the church sometimes and as Christians, we fall into this trap that we think moral living, right? Living a life of holiness. That's what we call it, right? Being set apart and living a life of holiness and righteousness. We fall into the trap that we think if we can get people to act and live moral, then that's going to produce transformation. The gospel says, no, you get people transformed and then they're going to live moral. We've reversed it. The church can fall into the trap of reversing it. If you act moral, then sooner or later you're going to be transformed. Jesus said, nope, let's clean up the inside, and then that's going to produce holiness on the outside. And can I tell you one of the reasons this is so important is because I lived most of my Christian life, and I still struggle with it today, is I spend most of my time focusing on how I act on the outside to see if that proves whether or not I'm right with Jesus. Jesus is like, would you knock it off? Because you're going to screw up, you're going to mess up, you're not going to do things right. If you're constantly focusing on the outside, you're never going to realize the transformation I've done in you on the inside. You don't put your faith in how you live. You put your faith in me. And see, the church, again, we can fall into this trap. And hear me just for a moment. I don't think we purposely fall into this trap. That's why it's called a trap. And here's the other thing. Scripture says, don't be deceived. You know what's interesting about being deceived? You don't know you're deceived. (laughs) That's what I love most about Scripture. It's like, do not be deceived. You're like, I'll never be deceived. You won't know it if you are. That's the whole point of deception. This is why Jesus is like, you got to rely on me and my Holy Spirit, and you need to follow me and the way I'm leading you and the truth that I show you. You're not going to find Christian... Listen, listen, just for a second. <laughs> You're not going to find the truth of Jesus and how to live as a Christian and how to follow the Spirit of God on Fox News. Right? That's not where it's at. And I'm not, I'm not picking on Fox News because I watch it. That's the show that I, my wife hates it when I turn it on. She despises Fox News. But I just want to say this real quick before anybody looks judgmentally on her. She's not a fan of any of them, so it's okay. But here's the trap that we fall into is we think it's more about how we live and how we act, and we stop proclaiming the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ, which is a gospel of transformation. It's a gospel of hope. It's a gospel of love. It's a gospel of becoming like the Son of God, not just outwardly living and following the rules. But here's the thing. I get it. I get it. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff in our world that sucks. There's a lot of things that make me upset. Just this morning, I came here. I was here by 6 o'clock this morning. I was sitting out. I actually sat out there for a while listening to it because I was listening to a woman 
that has become a Christian. Now hear this for a minute. She became a Christian. That's the awesome part about this, right? But I was having this moment of being frustrated and upset because she was talking about how she worked for Planned Parenthood and she purposely would go into schools to teach them sex education, but she would purposely teach kids on how to be active in sexual lifestyles because if they would then become pregnant and need to terminate that pregnancy, it generated money for the clinic. Right? That's what she was talking about. And I remember sitting there being so, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so horrible. But then God reminded me because all of a sudden she said, but you know what? I was radically transformed by Jesus Christ. And ever since then I've spoken out against this. And I mean, I'm sitting there, but that's the point. It's the radical transformation of Jesus that makes the change. It's the radical transformation of Jesus that changes our culture and changes our communities and changes our families and changes individuals. It's not just expecting moral behavior. I get it, though. You can't turn the TV on without seeing something that frustrates. I mean, I can't. Or conversations or being on Facebook. I'm just going to say this real quick. I like Facebook. Don't get me wrong. I enjoy it. But I'm just going to encourage anybody here, if all it does is frustrate you, get off of it. Like, seriously. If that's all it does, is just get off of it. So here's the question. How should we as Christians respond to the decline of morality? It's happening. It's going to happen. It's going to keep, keep happening. Here's the deal. We don't put our head in the sand, and we don't act like it's not a reality. We just don't throw our hands up in the air and say, well, Jesus said it's going to happen, so we're just going to let it happen. Because the problem with that is Jesus also said for us to be salt and light. We're supposed to be light to contrast the darkness. We're supposed to blaze brightly with the holiness of Jesus so the world can see something different. We're called to be salt. I love the idea of being salt because salt is like, I think about salt this way. You ever had an open wound and you get salt in it? Sucks, right? It's an irritant. Can I just tell you, I think us as Christians are called to be kind of an irritant to the world. I'm not talking about being hateful and jerks about it, but we should be irritants. Like just our presence should annoy people. I mean, that's a good thing. But here's the deal. Your presence should not annoy people because you are you know, like just kind of mouthy and start fights all the time. It's because you are full of joy and peace and hope and excitement and love. And people are like, you're annoying. I mean, that's why we should annoy people. Not because we're getting into arguments on Facebook. So we're called to be salt and light. We're called not to just walk away. I mean, here's the deal. I, I, there have been times in my life that I'm like, compounds sound really good. Like, let's build some walls. Let's all just move in. You know? I mean, I think about that with my kids all the time. You know? I mean, let's just, let's just you, my children, you can never leave the house. And the only person you need to listen to is your mom and I. That's it. But that's not what Jesus calls us to do. And I go back to something Pastor Matt said last week. If we did that, and we, and we live in fear, and we seclude ourselves, and we don't engage the way Jesus calls us to engage, what we're ultimately saying is that we don't trust that God's got this. It's a lack of trust in God and what he's able to do. So again, how should we respond to this? So let's just go over a couple of things. How should we respond as Christians? First is this. 
Let's not be surprised when lost people live and act like lost people. You get what I'm saying, right? I I mean, (laughs) don't get surprised when people that don't know Jesus live and act like people that don't know Jesus. We, We get so, like, out of shape about this. Like, they should know better. Says who? If they don't know Jesus and they don't know the truth of his gospel and have been radically transformed, we need to stop being surprised when people that don't know Jesus act like people that don't know Jesus. But see, this is where I think the trap falls into because we fall into this trap that we're a Christian nation, right? So people are proclaiming to be Christians, so they should know what's expected of them as being Christians. That's the trap, right? So automatically we fall into this like, you should know better. You should live different. But if they're still blinded by lies, if they're still blinded by darkness, I mean, Scripture talks about this veil that covers us when we don't know Jesus. Let's not be surprised when that happens. And what I would also express here just for a moment is we need to stop taking face value just because someone claims to be a Christian, they're a Christian. I'm going to be pretty blunt with you, I mean with this. Politicians, just because they, they, they talk about being a Christian, I, no. Because they're going to say what you want to hear. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm not trying to say they're not a Christian. I'm just saying I'm not taking it at face value. Because they're going to tell me whatever they can to get, their, to get my vote. Now, whether you like our current president or not, whether you think he's the greatest thing since sliced bread or not, I'm not going to automatically stand here and say, I know he's a Christian because he says he is. Only God of the universe knows that. But I'm going to say the same thing about any politician. And we need to start realizing that. Like, we need to start... Here's, I mean, just hear me on this just for a moment. I'm not, again, support whoever you want to support. I'm nothing against that. But let's stop, like, seeing certain politicians like they are, like, the Christian general that God sent for the church to get behind and march blindly behind. Right? Because I, I, I believe very strongly in what Scripture says. I don't want to, but I believe it. God chooses who's in leadership. See, I think it's about my vote. And here's the deal. You need to vote. Please do that. I still vote. I'm very active in, in that process. But at the end of the day, if the vote goes against what I voted for, I suck it up and say, then this is the will of God. And I'm going to trust that God knows what he's doing. So there's something to realize. So let's stop being surprised when lost people act and live like lost people. Uh, The second one is this. Let's stop making people your enemy even if you feel like they're against you. Um, What I mean by that is, especially in the political arena of things, some of us have very strong convictions, and that's great, and I'm all for it. Have those convictions. But we need to stop seeing people on the other side of the aisle uh, with us or different views of us. They're not your enemy. I only say this because I know people... Now, hear me on this. I'm going to confess. I have fallen into this before. You can ask my wife. I know people, though, that as soon as certain people come on TV, they can't even contain it. Stupid idiots. Like, they're just spewing, like, how much they hate these people. And I've done it before. You can ask my wife. I'll I'll, I'll watch, you know, debates, and I'll be sitting there going, oh, you got to be kidding. She'll be like, would you knock it off? Because what I'm doing is I'm making them my enemy. And Scripture says very clearly that our enemy is not flesh and blood. 
My enemy is not flesh and blood. No matter how much I disagree with their political standings, no matter how much I disagree with what they want to do, they are not my enemy. So here's the thing I want to do. I actually wanted to do this, but I didn't get time to put them up there. I wanted to do like a reaction test, and I was going to put different pictures up on the screen, and I was going to ask you, does that make you angry to see this? I mean, because some of us see people, and we get angry, right? We see certain political figures, and we get angry. We see certain people in Hollywood, and we get angry because we know what they've said. We know what they stand for, whatever it is, whatever, whatever side you're on, you can get angry when you see people. Can I challenge us as Christians just for a moment? It is not our job to be angry, it's our job to have compassion. And here's what I mean by that. If I truly believe that someone that has a different political view than I do, and I feel like their view goes against the will of God, and I feel like they are wrong in what they're trying to do and trying to attempt, I am not called to be angry at them. I am called to show compassion upon them and pray. If you have people in this world, that all they do is promote anger in you and you can't even pray for them, that's your heart issue. Because Jesus said, pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Bless those who curse you. I have said this ever since I was, uh, before we moved back to Iowa, I probably haven't said it here yet, so I'm going to say it if it makes you mad, whatever. Hear me on this with political stuff. In my personal opinion, this is my personal opinion, but basing it on what Scripture says. If you cannot pray for those in leadership, like we're called to in Scripture, I don't really care what your opinion about it is. Because Scripture says, pray for them. Pray to give them wisdom Pray that if they don't know Jesus, that they come to know Jesus. See, here's the deal. We are so focused on whether or not our political agenda is going to be passed that we're not even focused on whether or not these people know Jesus and whether or not when the day they die, they're going to be ushered into the presence of God or spend eternity in hell. Right now, you think about the one political person that you can't stand. If you are not brokenhearted that they potentially could go to hell for the rest of eternity, you have a problem. Because their salvation is more important than you getting the political agenda that you want passed. Did you hear me on that? As Christians, that's our calling. I, I want to just stop for a moment and, and, and I want to I share this story. I got just a couple more and then we're done. But to share this story. This actually happened this week. Going back to Facebook. Talking about anger. And God really challenged me with this. Somebody that I'm friends with on Facebook uh, is a very prompt, you know, very liberal in their thinking. So be it. They share stuff on there that just frustrates me sometimes, but that's where it's at. But one day they put something on there about what we're talking about with uh, sanctity of life. They put something on there about abortion, and they basically said, how dare you religious people care about an unborn baby more than you do babies that are already here? And I'm sitting there like, I totally agree with you. We need to care about all of them. I'm 100% behind you. But what frustrated me was somebody commented on their post, and this is what their comment said. They said, yeah, it's pretty sad when these religious people, religious people care more about a six-week-old blood clot than they do children that are already here. And I was instantly enraged. Like, what in the heck? That's, that's, I mean, some of you were like, 
So you know what I'm talking about here, what I was mad about. I was like, you got to be kidding me. And I sat there just wanting to explode back with all the things that just upset me with that. Now I realize it was a person that I know does not know Jesus, but I was so angry. And then God gently said this to me. He said, David, don't you realize that that person's life is just as important to me as the unborn baby that you're angry for? Why don't you get angry that she doesn't know me too? And it just stopped me like, mm. so instead of getting angry, what if instead of getting angry, those moments we get angry, what if we took those as moments to say, okay, God, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for the one that's making me angry. I'm going to pray that they know you. I'm going to pray that they're following you. I'm going to pray that you give them wisdom. I'm going to pray that they know the God of the universe and that their salvation is secure because that's more important than my political agenda. What if we started doing that as a church? Do we not think that God might start changing some of our politics? If the church started to actually pray and seek the God of the universe versus demanding morality and our own political agenda. With that, here's the last point. We need to start engaging with the kingdom priority of salvation over the political agenda. This is what I've been talking about. As Christians, our number one priority needs to be the kingdom priority, and the kingdom priority is salvation of everyone that can possibly hear the gospel and respond to Jesus Christ. My job as a Christian is not to get my political agenda passed, even though I believe very strongly in being involved. That is not my number one agenda. My number one agenda is the kingdom priority of salvation. Let me give you an example of what I mean by that, and then we'll finish this all up. About six years ago, seven years ago, around in that time frame, we, well, it was probably before that because we were still down in Missouri, I was one of those that fell in to be very political on Facebook, very political on Facebook. Like, I would share stuff, and I would give my ideas and my thoughts, and I, I would do all that, and I would, I would try not to be hateful about it, but I was definitely letting people know where I stood. You're going to know where I stand on certain things. Until all of a sudden it became clear to me that the more I drew the line in the sand of where I stood politically, it actually caused a wall to be built between me and actually reaching people that think differently, differently than me. So what ended up happening is that people that thought differently than me would find that as a reason not to speak to me. Because we have nothing in common if we can't agree on these things. So what ended up happening is it actually caused it that it was harder to actually tell people and to share Jesus with people because I was drawing and building a wall between myself and them because my political agenda was more important than my kingdom priority. So what I've started to do after God kind of showed me that, he's like, listen, you still can stand upon your convictions and you share them whenever you need to, and I still do. But I don't go around proclaiming them for everyone to see because what I want is I want the ability to have open engagement with anybody and everyone, whether we agree with each other or not. Because the most important thing I can share with them is not my political agenda. The most important thing I can share with them is Jesus. So what I mean by this is engage with kingdom priority of salvation over a political agenda. Again, meaning don't find ways to actually push people away because you might be the very person that God wants to use to tell them about Jesus. But we end up pushing people away before we get to that point. 
Again, this isn't saying that you can't have your, your convictions, and it doesn't mean that you can't you know, uh, have the things that you stand on. It doesn't mean you can't speak on these things. But let's start using wisdom on whether or not we're driving people away from us or we're drawing people to us. This is the goal, is to drive people to us. We should be praying for people and praying often. We should be ensuring that we're offering hope as often as we can. This is our calling as Christians. So as we end this and, and we prepare to close and, and, and worship together as we prepare to end this time, I just want to leave one last verse with us, and that is this. Scripture says, The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death cast its shadow, a light has shined. From then on, Jesus began to preach, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is the encouragement I want to give to us, is this. Jesus was the light of the world that entered in, and he has called upon us to continue to be his light in this dark world. The world needs to see the light of Jesus through us. And it needs to hear the same message that Jesus preached. And that message was repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. Hear me just for a second. When Jesus proclaimed this message, this was not a message of judgment. Jesus was not looking hatefully upon the world and the people that he said this to. He was not looking at them with judgment. So when he said repent and turn from your sins, he was not condemning them. He was offering hope. Jesus' message of repentance is a message of hope. Repent of your sins that leads to this darkness and this death and turn to the God who loves you because the kingdom is near. The church has turned this into a message of judgment. Jesus offered it as a message of hope because Jesus said when he came, listen, I have not come to condemn the world because the world is already condemned. I've come to save the world through me. This is the message we have. This is the light that we bring. 